I am super excited to have you back for another episode of Red Receipt. It's a deep dive into the how and why of the brands we love and the creatives behind them. From blueprints to launch day, customers as community, and the detours in between. Big lessons and easy listening. Red Receipt is hosted by Antidote, the email and SMS marketing agency by people who hate boring email. I'm super excited to introduce Emmett Shine today on the show. Even if you don't know Emmett, his work has been all around you. He and his team at Gin Lane helped build brands like Sweetgreen, Hymns, and Harry's before switching things up. Today, I'm introducing Emmett as the co-founder behind Pattern, a collective of brands that's hell-bent on helping people enjoy daily life. Being frank, the modern work culture, the attention economy, and work from home environment is a lot. Emmett and his team at Gin Lane switched up their direction, shut down the client work, and founded Pattern to do something about it. He joins us here on the show today to share his lessons learned along the way, using his creativity to fight against millennial burnout, and what it takes to build multiple brands. We hope you enjoy the show. When you started thinking about making a, like going into another chapter, how did you initially bring that up? Like, was it in conversation with the people around you for a long time before making the decision? And I'm curious how you brought it up to the people close to you. And then also to like the broader set of people that you were working with, not even internally, but like your partners yeah yeah i think i have like my approach for stuff like for these type of big decisions is is um to be unsophisticated and to not be like uh i was just i was saying i i just got the i was a little bit late because my, my dad called me and we were talking about someone i grew up with who's always in and out of trouble but like always gets out of trouble but is always kind of like thinks that he thinks he's out of trouble but he actually isn't really out of trouble and I, we were comparing him to a fox you know and it's like no one really wants to trust the fox and the fox <laughs> thinks that he's so smart and can always get away with like getting the, the chicken hen eggs or whatever. But all the farmers and all the other animals know what that fox is up to. And so I think the opposite of that is the approach I try taking, which is to just be dumb, uh, but just vocalize intention. Um, and so pattern was almost like a, a code word for whatever would be the next thing that we would do out of gin lane from almost like 2013 and i didn't know what it was and you know my partner nick ling he came on board about you know five years before we we started pattern and he came on board you know because smart guy great background um not to you know go run an agency was because i was like hey man there's something here that's more interesting than just what we're doing i don't know what it is but I know there's something here and it's going to be called pattern, <laughs> you know, like, and, and, and so it took years, it took years. And so it was kind of the worst kept secret ever, um, which I like by design, um, that people knew that we were trying to build something, um, out of what we were doing. And a lot of, you know, the later years for Jin Lane were collecting information and just asking entrepreneurs and VCs and other people in market on other people just like, Hey, how are you doing what you're doing? We're thinking about doing this. And it, it took us a long time to 
figure out, hey, why don't we go build our own brands? And then how do we do that? You know, are we going to partner with existing manufacturers? Do we partner with some private equity group? Do we go make, you know, telemedicine? Like there's so many things that could have been. It, it, it was just a very meandering organic process to arrive at like, hey, we felt burnt out from work. We were cooking together. We were getting older. We said, why don't we focus on home stuff? We're already thinking about trying to build our own brands. Why do we not partner with anyone? Let's make it the single cap model where we own each of the brands. We can experiment and learn from them. Um, so other things in my life, you know, like I try to be, I guess not the word dumb is it's funny, but I think it's also just intentional, but not in a way that like scares people, you know, so you like you sit down with a friend or something and it's like, Hey, what's up? And they're like, I'm going to buy a house. And you're like, okay, I, do you want to order appetizers or, you know, like, uh, how are you doing? And you're like, I just know it and I'm committed to it. And you're like, okay, freak, you know, like, I'm, it's not to be like that. It's just like, you know, you sit down with the friend and instead they'd be like, Hey man, I'm thinking about something. What do you think? Like, I like being more like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I was curious because I, I definitely made a life uh, change specifically in how I was working. And I had a previous uh, business partner that I won't go into too much, but I, I had somewhat of a similar thought process in the sense that I was tired of working like um, professionally. Like, yeah. And I, uh, I just thought like the way that we were doing business in my past was very like, by the book and my thing was like i think people just want to work with good people who do really good work and have good intentions behind who they are but they just i would much rather be like upfront and honest about who we are and that we are like if there's ever anything we're working through we're working through it live as everyone is always in life and i feel like that should be like a basic premise of relationships but so much in work is like about or used to be probably more about like posturing and I like I just didn't have much interest in that not not that that's directly related to your story but I was just really curious how you started to bring it up and then also like what was it like do you feel like that was an advantage to you in terms of like attracting people to work with you at Gin Lane or how did you continue the momentum of Gin Lane if you were even worried about that while wanting to explore something different? Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll answer with a few fun things. Um, I was thinking, you know, like, a, I mean, thanks for having me on and talking and I, yeah, I kind of just went straight into yeah, it. No, by yeah. the way. <laughs> Fuck it. You know, let's, let's go. Um, but I was saying, I always think it's fun. Like, for Jin Lane for 10 years, I was just kind of behind the scenes and never really did any of this type of stuff. And um, so I, I think it's fun. And I always just try to think to provide value or laughter or insights to people kind of listening. So what I would just say, I'll go to your earlier stuff and I'll try to bounce forward. Is that like, I'm just like a, a bad liar and I'll and just like semi-personal, but who cares? And here's an example of it. Is that like, I, I have Tourette syndrome which isn't, you know, that bad now when I was a kid was, you know, pretty pronounced and, you know, like, what the hell, you know, like, 
but what I found from it is that like, I just will blurt out stuff. And so I've gotten in trouble 10 million times in my life because I'll just say something that like I was thinking and hadn't fully processed. But I like the, I like the phrases of like, in, you know, in life, turning your, your weaknesses into your strengths. Um, and then I've like added a caveat, but be careful because your, your strengths can again, turn into your weaknesses. Um, but for the first part of it, I think for me as like a weakness of not being able to always control what I was you know, saying in terms of these thoughts that would form, then they just kind of come out. Um, I think one way I've tried to use that as an advantage is that in many ways, I'm an open book, you know, like I wear my thoughts on my sleeves and I don't really try to hide it. I don't try to hide stuff I'm working on or thinking on. And I try to just be really upfront with people because I just know I'll slip up sooner or later and say something that like I was thinking on or holding for some other time. So I'm always getting in trouble for that. So why not just kind of come, come out and, and tell people what you're thinking on. And so I tried to be as transparent as possible. Um, you know, with, with people who are coming on as employees or people that we were working with, um, you know, as businesses. And I think to some extent people respect when you're, when you're upfront, right. I think like, uh, in life, happiness is when expectations are met or exceeded. Um, so I think it's important to try to constantly set expectations so people know what they're getting into and, you know, maybe set them lower. Right. So, so yeah. they, they're not like, too crazy or, or too high. Were you, were you set out when you're building gin lane, like to build into a big agency or no, that's my whole, that's the whole point is I never, I, I didn't even know what an agency was when I started gin lane. It was, I was just, I was, I had done a t-shirt and skateboarding business called Lola for years from 18 to 22, 23. I dropped out of college to do it full time with my childhood friends and I went to NYU TIS for photography. And so I was also a photographer and I was a graphic designer and I was a web designer. I was just doing all this stuff to make money and any money we made from, you know, Lola, we'd put back into the business, like normal fledgling business. And so I was making money on the side, doing whatever I could do. Um, and Gin Lane is just a, a rich street in Southampton, which is where I'm from. And I was like, oh, I'll just call it a rich street added media because it sounded cool. And then people will pay me versus freelancer, Emmett apartment crap, Chinatown apartment, walk up 70 floor zero. Like they're just like, yeah, right. I'll pay you never, you know, in 120 days. And I got 120 days of rent to make, you know? So, um, I just figured call it this thing and whatever. Um, so when all of a sudden it became quote unquote, this agency thing, which was me basically just hiring people that were smarter than me to do the stuff that, um, I could sell, you know, but couldn't even do anymore at the level that maybe I could say we could do it. Um, I, I didn't want to, I thought, you know, I, I, I'm, I still work, I'm work guy and I love my team and organization, but I think there's a, a little kid part of me that still thinks like, you know, like the movie office space that like work is nerdy, you know, and like being too work, worky work, McWorkerson, um, you know, is is like a i don't know whatever skater culture kind of not cool <laughs> so i never wanted to be like big agency i just want to do cool work i want my mom who's an artist to be proud of it um you know and try to you know make stuff that would work business wise so it's not like blowing money but it also that people in the industry and peers you know on twitter and snobs like that that they would respect and be like oh those guys are thoughtful and cool and i think again for pattern it's the same thing i want to try to operate 
you know, with our, with an awesome team of people that are way more smarter and experienced at all their special areas. Um, and, and, you know, in a weird way, like Martha Stewart kind of style, like, you know, we're, we're building storage bins and cookware and it's not like, you know, the most like fashion chic, you know, whatever coolest things in the world. But I kind of like that they're like norm core in essence and, and just trying to bring good design sensibility, responsible materials and cool marketing, photography and website and just be more like dad joke older kind of about it versus like having to make everything in your 20s fire and be what has to be the coolest or it's your whole identity and your whole representation. Um, so, yeah. What do you, what do you feel like was, was there, was it hard making the actual, like, I don't know, like deadline of making the switch, especially like dealing with clients? Well, what I'm saying, it was, it was so rolling. It took so many years. Like, I think people were frustrated. That's the only downside of telling people, like, I think it's so cool when like Beyonce comes out and she drops a whole album and there's 20 videos and it's everything crazy and no one knows about it. And it comes out on a Friday night and you're just like, stop the presses. We're going to watch, you know, this whole thing. Like it is cool. You know, when you, it's like, I just started doing an interview the week before and they were asking when her album's coming out. And she's like, I don't know. You know, like I, I have so much respect for that because it's so hard. So I, I think people were kind of like, all right, yeah, we'll, we'll see, you know, we'll see, you know, when you can get it done. Um, but, you know, the, the hardcore people stuck around and, and bought into it. Um, but it wasn't like, like that. I think it's like, a, you know, it really was behind the scenes, like a, a really long time kind of in the making. And I just looked at it like I was just signing up for the next chapter of my life. Like, I don't think pattern is going to be some overnight success. There's so much stuff we need to figure out, you know, build, like I want to also build physical products. Like how cool is that? Like after working with websites and apps for fucking a decade, I can't, my parents never knew what I did. My friends back home, they can't touch any of this stuff. What, what am I going to tell them about this? You know, the, the middleware integrations we did for sweet greens, online ordering system, you know, like they don't understand what, what any of that crap is that's floating in the ether on clouds, you know, like we talking about. You know, so just actually, you know, build and design a really nice quality pan that you can cook on and give that to my dad and be like, I made this. And he's like, wow, I'm proud of you for once in my life. You know, I'm like, <laughs> all right, score, you know, thanks, equal parts, <laughs> you know. So I think there's something really like retro futuristic rewarding about working with atoms after years and years of anyone that listens that works with bits, you know, and you want to talk to your parents. It's like, I mean, I don't even know how you would describe, you know, antidote to, you know, an uncle at a hanging out at a, at a Thanksgiving, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, okay, Uncle Larry, you got to understand the thing <laughs> between email and SMS. We're not talking about MMS, talking about SMS. And the marketing that goes on nowadays, like, okay, I got to break it down for you. And he's like, uh, can you just pass the gravy? Uh, what, what was that process like in terms of switching from digital to physical products? Like, and did you guys bring in outside resources to kind of like help you learn that aspect of the business? Cause that's like something that was totally new. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, the, the adage of like uh, something that's like, you know, 
those that know the most know that they know the least is still even not enough. I think we knew that we need to bring a lot of people in and around us to help us move into these areas that we hadn't been trained or hadn't been training in for years. Um, but it still has been such an onboarding process. I think one of the craziest things is the great thing with bits is you can move so fast, man. You know, like we're, that's a crazy thing also is that even gin lane was almost for a bit slower, right? We'd build brands, we'd build websites. We had a process for doing it. We were never really the, the team that would manage stuff in market. We weren't even the team. People would be like, Oh, you guys did all those subway ads. Like we only, we only subway ads we ever did was for hymns. You know, like we, all those other ones were either other brands or brands that we had worked with and then their in-house team or someone else did them. So with, with, with bits for in-market operations, you're, you're A-B testing, you're split testing your website, you're segmenting your emails going out, you're making multiple ads, and you're getting all this feedback instantaneous, which is a gift and a curse. It's extremely overwhelming and anxiety-producing. You know, you launch your business and you see the sales either flood in or not flood in right away. On the physical product side, it's, it's like medieval. It's like, well, they've got to, you know, weld this metal and they've got the supplier coming over. They've got to pour the cast in and make these two machines angrily squish it. Then they have to beat it with more metal. And then it's got to get on an old boat and go halfway around the world, you know, to go get these other components put in. Then it's got to go through all these physical testing. And you're like, okay, like testings like that. It's like, nope, it's got to go through this agency to make sure it's safe, it's healthy, it's got to then be transported back, and then you get it, and it's almost right, and you want to fix one more thing, and it takes another, you know, month, two months. It's, it's just a, working with physical materials. It, um, it, it, you have to learn a lot of patience, which is also kind of in this really beautiful, interesting tension with being a digital-based business. So, you know, you, you sell e-com physical goods. E-com you're ripping, you're testing this out, you're getting this feedback, you know, a customer's writing in, you're doing a collaboration on social media, you're sending out email marketing, you're just moving at a mile a minute. And anyone that either works in these businesses or runs a business will know, like, it's like, you, you know, you feel like you're in like a Star Trek when they go into like, you know, warp drive or whatever. But then on, especially the, the tension has been even more pronounced in COVID world is, is, all these supply chains, whether domestic or international, either, you know, they're shut down, they're delayed, or for pattern, we're e-com based of selling home goods. Everyone's at home. So our categories are, we're very fortunate, are really in demand. That's good, but it also means, you, you know, you go to your manufacturing partner or your factory and you say, hey, I'm really excited. We're going to you know, place an order for 10,000 of these items. And then they go, okay, that's great. We just had, you know, this other business who's way larger than you guys and does this super high quality one piece that you also make with us order, you know, half a million of them, you know? And so it's, uh, there's a lot of clustering. It's like, um, people that are experts at stuff, it's kind of like the 80, 20 rule. It's like, you know, 20% of a lot of things are dictated, 80% of a lot of things are dictated by like 20% of a population or a group or like 
I like to say, if you do work in some sector, there's like the 20%, which is like in demand and retains value. And then the other 80% is kind of like frothy and competing. It's like why a Rolex watch appreciates in value versus another watch, you know, which could be worth an all right amount depreciates, you know, like they're in the 20%. So, you know, we wanted to work with the best partners out there, um, but they're also really good. And they're also really in demand right now. Um, and hopefully, you know, our products have been also received really well and, you know, we're always working to improve them, but I think they're made pretty well and have been pretty well received. Um, so we had a lot of, um, selling out periods for the past few months, which is a whole other, you know, challenge to deal with. So physical is, is, it's just a very unique, weird world, like in this crazy interconnected internet enabled technology centric globalized world physical is still physical how have you how have you balanced the tension between being a, a and i don't mean this like in a bad way but being a venture backed business while also uh thinking about more intentional ways of living and yeah. not always working yeah yeah, I mean, I think again, just being upfront, like sometimes, like you know, you have to live in the irony or the hypocrisy, you know, to some extent. I think, like on other extents, it's not like hypocritical if 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 you know you're setting your expectations and owning up to it. I think our goal was always to try to um, to do something pretty big and and pretty different, and so I think that's why we needed to to raise money. Number one. Um, making physical items is, is really expensive. Um, it's, it, I'm telling you the world of physical is like, I don't know. It's so funny just walking, working off like websites, you know, forever. I think the other part of it is that patterns model. Um, it's like, maybe I said the term before, but like, like retro futuristic, it, it's a hold co, right? So that's something that's like been around for a really long time. And it's, was a, a staple of a uh, 20th century consumer goods businesses, Unilever, Johnson and Johnson, Procter and Gamble, um, but they were really designed um, for a post World War II um, interstate highway, big box retailer, shelf space economy. You know, and they were, you know, you trusted these brands because you saw them with the great shelf space, you know, uh, positioning at all these different kind of stores, and so it was built for physical distribution. Um, now in the 21st century, you know, if you think about kind of the history of commerce and things more going online and then things going on the phone, um, and you look at America, which invested so much because we became such like this big car culture country um, in retail, and you look at how much retail we have per person and stuff, it's like the most in the world. Um, and you look at how e-com hasn't really, hadn't really penetrated uh, retail as much as it has in a lot of other countries around the world, um, you know, especially in like Asia and other maybe more technology centric, um, you know, cultures where middle classes and stuff, you know, emerging a lot in the last like 40 plus years or whatever, their e-com percentage of total commerce is multiples higher than in America, especially mobile. Um, and what we've seen in COVID is that, you know, stuff that we had kind of bet on, I just don't think we, anyone would have thought it would happen this fast is that it's, it's ticked up almost two X, you know, just this year. 
So a roundabout way of saying that we try to envision us. Here's the irony is that like what we're trying to build is we needed venture money to try to build something more sustainable. And the more sustainable is that a lot of these e-com B2C brands that have cool branding and they look great and they've, you know, got good values. It's really hard for them to sustain in the sense of like Wikipedia definition, not die and to build something that can keep going because single product, single category, single channel, the, your cost of acquisition can be really hard and it gets, it's never easier. You know, a lot of people have said it to start a business. It's never harder to grow a business. And so we didn't want to get in the business of building um, a single product that like, you know, you look at mattresses or other stuff and the cost of acquisition gets so high. And then you look under the hood at these guys numbers and they're effectively losing money on every purchase. Right. It, that That's the notion that people have of like associating VC stuff, because that's from, it's from like the world of software, you know, where you like invest all these piles up front, which is like this West Coast model of like investing in technologies to try to get market penetration. And if you get, you build your defensible mode, then software, you're just repeating it and offering it in your Salesforce, your Microsoft, you're a social platform, you have these network effects, right? So people tried applying this, that business playbook on the East Coast to consumer businesses. And I think over the past few years, people have realized that it's not a one-to-one fit. And so our way from Jin Lane seeing how these businesses were architected behind the scenes for years, we were like, yo, this is not, to your word, sustainable. These businesses are gonna have to go out of business, they're gonna have to be bought for bad multiples. It It just doesn't make sense. And so what our hypothesis was in 2017, 2018, which we rolled out in 2019 and we're, building in 2020 is why don't we have one group which owns multiple different businesses that depressurizes anyone from having to do hundreds of millions in revenue. Let's just try to build a series of businesses that we run profitable, EBITDA profitable, business 101. Let's make sure that we're profitable on first purchase. Let's make sure that our unit economics and our gross margins are good. Easier said than done. A lot of work, super hard. But let's make that our North Star. And then let's focus on the home, which is an area we're passionate about. We still believe that building you know, brands and products for stuff we can use. And for people who hopefully will buy a pattern brand, they'll say, oh, I like their values. I like what they stand for. I like the quality of the product. I, I bought this you know, cookware. Now they have home organization. Now there's a third brand. I'm gonna I'm gonna trust them. And under one group, if we can have revenue diversification focused on the home, we could build, you know, what we think could be a more sustainable and lasting business that is essentially a hold co for the 21st century for e-com. That's our business hypothesis, which I think you'll see more and more people looking at the hold co model because it is not sustainable um, from a business perspective you know, to, to have these single product, single category brands, if you want to get outside of the mom and pop kind of lifestyle brand territory. Do you think, I'm, a, I'm assuming like the Holdco back in the day, that model was also beneficial because uh, you're selling to physical retail stores. So you can sell multi, multi-brand yeah. to the same retail yep. store and just take advantage of 
the relationships that you have. Did you guys have a hypothesis about attracting the same audience to all of the brands or businesses or like how you were thinking about doing that? Because that's, to me, it's interesting that you wouldn't like, you wouldn't really have that same connection. Whereas back then you would have like one buyer or whoever at a retail store that you'd be selling or could be selling like multi brands to that you had under a holding co. Whereas. Yeah. Oh, you saw you. Uh... No, no, no. Just like, whereas in the digital space, it could be harder to, uh, kind of like lift all boats with the same tide if that might be like the worst way of saying it but does that make sense yeah. no it makes sense i mean again i think the honest answer is who knows right i think that's <laughs> kind of the i mean that's the other thing for the other sorry you see i'm like bounce around guy but i, I mean i'm answer. bouncing around too yeah 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 well let's bounce hopefully if you're <laughs> listening that you can follow but i was gonna say again retrofuturistic is that pattern essentially is an agency like gin lane but of our own businesses, you know? So that's kind of the part that I was like also excited about was like doing what, you know, once we, we get more experience with operating and physical products, it, it is one team working across all these brands, which is fun. You know, like I like the diversity of working on different projects versus being in one business focused on one thing, you know, um, to your question, I just want to say that, but to your question, I, I think number one, you know, there's no world in which I don't think we're diverse in terms of our channels, right? So I think we'll 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 probably, you know, sell to different retailers. There's e-tailers, and then there's retailers, which I guess, besides being more encompassing, means physical retailers. Maybe we have our you know our own physical locations. Who knows what's going to happen with kind of physical on just the, this, and that's where I think we we can do a lot of fun stuff. Imagine you know, whatever, a pattern shop in a shop within a larger shop or a pattern shop on its own that has these different brands, you know, and there can be talks and there can be events and there can be, you know, workshops. Like there's a lot of cool stuff there. Just on the digital side, I don't know. I think there's a lot of fun stuff. I think number one, by focusing on the home, there there is a centricity to what we're offering. It isn't, you know, this thing is, you know, healthcare and then this is a uh, tax filing and then this is jackhammers, you know, it's, it, there is like a little bit of an alignment to it. And because we own the whole business, we can do a little bit more fun stuff than if we own partial parts of it where we can, you know, offer different sales and offer different cross bundling. And so, you know, already this year, we've built up a pretty big email subscriber and we're building up, you know, a pretty good social following across all three businesses. And so while they're separate for each business, they're one per us and so i think yeah i mean even me like originally uh seeing what you guys were doing i thought it was interesting because i like i found pattern brands i think before you guys even launched publicly and i didn't even really know that much i didn't really know about gin lane because my background isn't really from like the agency yeah at all uh and I thought it was interesting because I found pattern brands and I, I think like I noticed a lot of people that also were interested in like the centralized hub for the other. Yeah. Brand. Where yeah. like in the beginning, I thought that might be 
its own like little silo that was smaller public facing. But I, I feel like over time I've noticed that people are migrating like between all of the, or between the two brands more seamlessly than I might have expected up front. Yeah. I mean, look, like there's a lot of competing theories. So for example, like, you know, the company Wayfair, which sells like, you know, whatever furniture and then QAnon scheme insert yeah, here, yeah. you know, <laughs> I was started say. At, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I won't say what people suspect they're selling, but, uh, you know, but they, they started out, um, selling all different categories and they were really good at, uh, search engine optimization. That was like their founders, like superpower. And they ended up centralizing all these different websites into one because they found that it was more effective to drive everyone to one place. We thought a lot about that. What if we just called everything pattern? And it was pattern cookware and pattern home organization and pattern, you know, baby products and pattern pet stuff. But I think what we liked was that pattern became um, pure a little bit in, in how we've designed it. And that pattern doesn't sell anything right now. And it can, you know, do talks and do interviews and on social media can just kind of post more like thoughtful things on uh, self-fulfillment, you know, meditation, um, spending more time being introspective. And I think that preserves a little bit of the foundational DNA. Um, and then the businesses, you know, on one sense, one sense, it is harder that they have to stand up on their own two feet, but I like that they can just be nice and niche focused for whatever their little arena is, how this all kind of comes together. Is there a membership program? You know, what do we do in terms of cross-selling? You know, what do we do in terms of bundling? I think it really is the, one of the reasons why I wanted to go from, and our team go from Gin Lane to Pattern is that this is a multi-year riddle. It's a multi-year kind of problem where each year we're going to be introducing and testing and rolling more things out. And for this stage of my life, I think I wanted a 10-year challenge. I wanted something that would take 10 years to truly manifest and roll out and be, and, and, and hopefully harmonize and work together. And I think from a customer perspective, I just feel like it could be kind of cool if, if uh, there's all these different brands, but on the back of every one, it says a pattern, you know, a pattern family business, you know, and I think there's something kind of fun about that. What, what do you think, like, what was one of the things when launching pattern and, uh, and equal parts and open spaces. Uh, what do you think was something that you learned or didn't expect when trying to build the brands with the profitable mindset from the start? Like, I obviously there's surprises along the way. It's like a new, a totally new thing and a new thesis that you guys had that you're trying to bring to life. Yeah. I think again, just trying to be like honest, we, we, we made a lot of, you know, um, what's the word hypotheses, you know, when you're trying to, you know, write a business plan or you're trying to go to market. And some of them, I think we were really fortunate that we were spot on. Um, and other than we were just fucking wrong, you know, um, <laughs> And I think we learned, we learned a lot of lessons. And the main thing I would say, you know, of extracting value from this is like, just fail fast, you know, and, and fail small before you fail big. Um, and so I think 
I'll get into maybe some specifics, but like when equal parts came out versus when open spaces came out, we made, you know, mistakes for both. Anyone who says you have a, a perfect launch is just lying. Like it's so hard and you get so many things wrong because you're trying to have all these different work streams and, you know, all these different things come together, you know, and go like, like that. And so I think for open spaces, which came about three, four months after equal parts launch, we, the things that we failed that we failed at a lot smaller and a lot faster because we learn really quick how to, you know, okay, now we're an operating organization. We're in market. I think equal parts was kind of hard at, at first how we launched it because we were, we were still coming a little bit from an agency mindset where you're trying to make everything perfect, you know, and you're trying to be as creative as possible. Um, and I think one of the successes of Jim Lane was we always found great entrepreneurs that were really tough to work with, you know, and I don't think at first we, we necessarily had that. It was, we could let our artistic hair down and, you know, it's like a musician who always works with like a producer that knows how to structure them and keep them on track. And then all of a sudden we came out and our songs are seven minutes long and there's, you know, guitar solos with weird cowbells. You know, our first website for equal parts was so crazy. It was all like crazy storytelling in black. And we got a, you know, Daniel Arnold, who's a cool photo journalist, you know, to shoot all of our campaign photography. Um, so we took a lot of risks, you know, we, we bundled everything in these very specific ways. Our marketing was very like mysterious and different. And I think people really thought we were cool, but they didn't know totally how to interface and purchase with us if they wanted like cookware, you know? So I think we, we had to recalibrate a lot of stuff, um, at the end of last year. And so I think we took that into open spaces, which came out at the end of January and we put up, you know, a test site in November, we made ads in November and we just started testing. Okay, well, let's just see, like, we're redoing all this stuff for equal parts because we learn so fast. Don't be so crazy. It's, it's cookware. If you want to see, they want to see the, we made good quality products and we weren't even leaning on that. We were leaning on branding and storytelling. So we just pulled back a little bit and focus actually on the products and letting them speak for themselves, which, you know, fortunately we learned pretty fast and for open spaces, we just try to learn that before we came out. So by the time we came out for February or end of January, you know, we also equal parts, we had press and we rolled out the website and then this thing crashes or this thing doesn't work, you know, and for open spaces, we, we did a series of private to then public releases. So, okay. You know, this left nav has some quirks on it. This page, someone doesn't know how to add this in to you know, this call to action button. So we were able to fix them week by week. So when we fully opened it up, um, we were in a really good spot. I think for open spaces, we then sold out way faster. We, we did so much work to make it really good that we almost under <laughs> expected the amount that we would have to have, which is also like a guesstimation game. So it, I, I, at the end of the day, it's just, it's a year of learning. It's a year of like trying to build a platform, trying to build a team that's in it for the long haul that can be a platform that can be sustainable, that can operate and have expertise that we can share across multiple businesses. It's always going to be the hardest for your first one and your first few ones, because as a human, you're just learning while in the video game. You know, it's not the second time you're going through the third time where, you know, you know, Call of Duty or, or Mario Brothers, you have a way more of an understanding of how to play it. Is there, are there any did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Different. No, no, that that answered my question for sure. Uh, 
and, and the profitable part is trying to not lose a lot of money on big things. I think it's like, you know, there were times where we could have spent more money on something to fix it. And we just said, no, we're going to, we got to live with the consequences and we got to earn our way back to where we can spend money on this. You know, I think that that's part of the, the discipline I think imposed by some people on our team. Um, I, I'm really appreciative, but in the moment it's really hard because you want to just buy your way out of a problem. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm, I was curious, like even you personally, like how, while, while learning everything and, and also learning that like the clients that you used to have, were great partners because at times yeah. they were really hard yep. to work with and pushed you guys probably to do things that didn't come as naturally or or weren't as comfortable like did you do anything personally to like evolve the way that you were working and looking at the business and was that like a personal challenge to manage through the change of just like the different stages of life and the fact that you are in a different business than you used to be in. Yeah, man, totally. I, I think like, I think when we start a pattern, we wanted to try to really have like, you know, better work-life balance for ourselves and also to promote it for others. We wanted to have, um, you know, more the ability to unwind after work. And so I think in some ways it's been way crazier trying to launch two businesses and having to learn so much on the fly. And then it didn't get easier once, you know, like COVID hit. So I think, I think our team, you know, enjoy daily life is, is something that, you know, we really preach for our customers and our community, but it's, it's been a lot of hard work for our team. I mean, it's almost like an ongoing joke, you know, internally of like, yeah, enjoy daily life. Like we're, 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 we're cranking here. And so I think again, um, one, I think it's being realistic and not lying to, you know, our core audience in some ways is our team, you know, so I wouldn't want to come on here and just be like, dude, it's been so easy. We all meditate, you know, we take it, you know, like every other day, <laughs> it's been fucking hard, man, you know? Um, but I think just being honest is, is important. And I, you know, for me, like I, I, I did get to like a, almost a breaking point the past few months where like, man, I really have started to meditate every day. Not because I think it's cool just because I'm going to fucking self-destruct as a human, you know, I'm journaling and trying to go surf or play basketball or walk my dog or just sweat. Like, so I, I think just letting your actions speak louder than your words, I think is important. Um, I'm really excited for some stuff we can share with the community this fall. I think coming out of like the past few months, how are we building culture um, you know, as a team, how are we celebrating people's birthdays, people's anniversaries? What are we doing for team building activities? We've now hired people that have never met physically one person in our company, you know, like it's just, it's such a different reality. Like we did this, we did this thing for gin lane every year called summer Fridays, where we get off work a little bit earlier. You know, we we've extended that for the rest of the year for pattern, just so people, cause they're, we're working so hard Monday through Thursday. Why not? Like, you know, just give ourselves a little bit of a break. So we have more time to unwind and go into the weekends. Um, so I think pattern for me, like a lot of business stuff I've done, or probably other people do, it's a catalyst for self change. It just doesn't, it doesn't work that easy, right? It hasn't been like, okay, I started pattern. Now all of a sudden, I could be a, a guest, you know, on the headspace app, you know, like, it's probably has been more stressful and more challenging. But I think overall, it's structurally getting to a place 
to use your earlier word, which is good, it's a great word to consider, is more sustainable um, in the long term than I think where I was at for what we were doing. Yeah, I also, yeah. I also think like, it's like the image of, uh, of the intentionality of it or like yeah, the that, image that, that's good. of it is what you're after almost like you're never going to be, I mean, maybe you would be, but I don't, I don't know if it would be that great. Like you're never going to be in a place where your life would be perfectly balanced or like if you were there, you're yep. probably not like doing anything that would be that interesting <laughs> yeah. or like growth related for you personally and like yeah i think that's like another interesting thing a buddy of mine was saying like i i don't think you actually ever would want that in life like you would you think that's what you want but you like you literally need stress to keep you alive and like vibrant there's some term i forget what it is but there are different types of stress and like i think one of those latin etymology whatever roots like roots of what like stress is, is, is like focus and presence and challenge or whatever. It's just when stress becomes too much is when you get into, you know, anxiety, overbearing, and the worst is burnout, which is part of like the catalyst that we were also talking to address where work is your everything. All you do is work, you know? And, and I think like, I was going to read, um, like, uh, when we started pattern, we had these 10 simple steps to help you enjoy daily life. And I think the irony is I've been going back to them now to help me as I've been personally stressed, you know, trying to run a business when you're all working remote and, you know, supply chains are hard and the economy is fluctuating, algorithms for paid are changing. There's, you know, important, you know, cultural movements and stuff happening that like requires a lot of your, your, your mental capacity. You know, it's hard to toggle all these things, but you know, it's, uh, I'll just read them out. But number one, this is stuff we wrote in a, in a simpler time, but I've been like re-looking at. One, begin your day by making your bed. Each morning, do something before checking your phone. Try to get fresh air throughout the day. Do one thing at a time. Let your mind wander. Take control of your leisure time. Embrace mediocrity. Spend time with friends and loved ones. Wind down before bed. Get a good night's rest. And so it's not like you have to do all these, but I just think they're a nice thing I try looking at each day to see, you know, if I feel like I have done that or if I can do it. Um, because it just depressurizes having to do superstar, superpower stuff or just being sucked into the matrix. So like, while I got to work really hard, you know, I'm trying to wake up and, you know, meditate or walk my dog 10 minutes, whatever, before... I look at my text messages, I look at Slack, I look at social media, I look at my email, just hold off for a little bit, you know, like embrace mediocrity I love. It's like doing things, puzzles, surfing, a hobby, singing that you suck at because you're just doing it not for the performant nature. You're just doing because it, it fucking makes you happy. You know, it's spending like it's also America's got like a feeling alone epidemic that we've had for a while that's not getting any easier for anyone so making some time you know to facetime or socially distance style whatever go see a friend like that's important you know these are just like 
it's not like the balance is, is perfect, but I think the fundamentals of what make happiness and what we are trying to get at with pattern, enjoy daily life, they're the little rituals. They're like, um, I don't know if you can see this book, The, the Power yeah, of Rituals yeah. by, by uh, oh, it's pretty bad because I got my thing, by, <laughs> by Casper Kirkui, uh, T-E-R space K-U-I-L-E. I love, and it, it says turning everyday activities into soulful practices. And he's, he's like, what is this thing? He's, um, he's a ministry innovation fellow at Harvard Divinity School. And basically what he says is like, yo, all young people, you're not all religious anymore, but you're spiritual, you know? And what it means is basically like traditional religion. We don't buy into statistically as much as prior generations for ever did. So find your version of spirituality to connect to yourself and others. And a lot of that is through rituals and rituals can be a bubble bath. It can be a backgammon game. It can be making your morning coffee. They're just things that you find meaning in on a regular basis. And I think that's some of the stuff fundamentally, you know, buy our products, but also at the same time, you know, why I think pattern can just espouse this on its own unencumbered by having to sell something is just trying to share some of this knowledge. I think with our generation and the younger generation of like find simpler ways to find meaning and happiness and enjoyment than some of the, and I think Gen Z is actually doing a pretty good job at that. than some of the bigger pressures that think can be placed on us. Do you, do you feel like there's any, anything that you've learned or like any advice that you wish you would have gotten at the beginning of launching pattern brands now knowing everything that you guys have gone through up until this? Yeah, I probably would have, I probably would have started a lot smaller and simpler. Um, and you know, just like announced more intentionally, we were going to do cookware and built up an audience on that and gotten feedback and, you know, had more time of launching our first stuff to, just figure stuff out. That's, that's perfect. Like, I think that's the hard part of, um, the world we're in is, you know, you, there's such a pressure to move fast and be perfect that again, it's just why I try reminding myself of the stuff that, <laughs> that we write. It's not like we're not perfect too. We're, we're, you know, making our own fallible kind of mistakes. So whether it's for me back in the future or someone listening, I think it's like taking the pressure off yourself and making things smaller and being able to learn faster by testing um, our, our stuff that I've now taken forward, right? So it's like looking backwards and then taking it forward. So now as an organization, I think we're so much better um, at depressurizing things, at testing things, um, and finding ways to like get feedback in our company and out of our company faster. I think those are really important for business. Um, I don't know how Beyonce does what she does, but maybe she's got like a group of people that she's just constantly bouncing this stuff off of and she's taking her time. So for us, it just seems like it came out of nowhere, but maybe it was almost done for months and months and months on end. I'm sure it's crazy at the last minute, but I think just depressurizing, man, like stuff doesn't need to be perfect. Like just take your time and you'll find your path. Does it matter if you found your path off the bat in this big showy way or if you find it? more quietly after a longer amount of time. I think for me, that's the ultimate goal for pattern is that it, it all makes sense 
in a really, really awesome way as a sustainable business where it's a great place to work, where people like our quality products. And if it takes us, you know, time to get to that awesome place and that that's cool. Yeah. I think like, I, I feel like that's, uh, that's like such straightforward advice and also like the thing that a lot of people don't want to do, uh, just because you, I feel like everyone wants shit to be perfect. Yeah, man, of course. Jump. You want to prove, you want to prove other people wrong. You want to prove yourself wrong. You want to have the spectacular moment, you know? Yeah. But like your whole life organization would be, would feel way better if you, did it the other way <laughs> and learned along the way and were like open about it from the beginning. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I got other hobbies and, you know, relaunching Lola with my friends and, you know, doing other things. And I'm just trying to like have fun and depressurize them. Even for pattern, I think this will come out mid September and we have, um, you know, new equal parts cookware you know, it's kind of on the one year anniversary of equal parts. Like it's, it's, it's almost like, okay, with everything that we've heard from all these customers, everything we've learned, let's just go back and make what we think is, you know, the most evolved perfect version using, you know, what we put out as an incredible base of just listening, just listening to people. And so I, I think the, the new equal parts stuff, like, I don't know, we spent a year working on it. We took our time and I think it's, you know, I think this stuff, Secretly, we pushed a bunch of updates to our physical products for equal parts over the summer. Um, and I think the stuff that's going to come out, you know, in September is just, it looks so beautiful. And some of the little iterations we made and evolutions we made are awesome. So I think that's the other thing is that like, you don't have to always be one and done. You can keep kind of like, you know, I think Tesla's cool in that sense as a company that makes physical products, but like constantly is pushing not only software updates, updates but they're, they're always evolving what they're making because they take that kind of startup approach. And so, you know, for open spaces, we're pushing a bunch of updates to some of the, you know, the physical items where, you know, we just got feedback from customers that, that love it. And they said, Hey, you know, what about this? Or did you think of this, or this could have fit better, you know, and say, okay, cool. Like we'll work on it. Um, it doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, you want to just like have it come out in a week, but it takes months. So I think definitely I'm like learning, a different timeline sense of patience. Um, but yeah, if you're listening to this, you know, check out, uh, you know, equal parts. Um, I think maybe September 15th or 16th, we'll be showing and announcing stuff. So I'm, I'm pretty excited for that. And it's been like a year on the working. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for, for talking and spending time. It was awesome meeting and hopefully we can do some type of follow-up anytime in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Sean, thanks a lot. And, you know, hope all is well antidote and, you know, these talks are pretty cool. Nice questions. And again, I hope if someone's listening, it's helpful or relatable or inspiring in some capacity. I think no one knows what they're doing. No one knows all the answers, all these people that talk on these things and say they're all confident. It's, you know, they go home and cry, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> at least I'm here just saying, <laughs> I don't have a fucking clue, but just showing up and trying to get it done and make quality products. I think I, that's the other thing is like trying to make stuff that can last that people like makes me happy. Yeah, I totally agree and appreciate the sentiment.
Bread received. Bread received. Bread received.